We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. We will be in Nehemiah chapter 4. But it so happened when Sambawa heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn the reproach on their own heads, and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sambawa, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored, and the gaps were beginning to be clothed. Closed, I'm sorry. And they became very angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, From whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall, at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked, and arose, and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was 
from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of a trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, Let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working uh, party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. Very good. Well, I thought I'd give you a little bit of a report on what uh, we, uh, I experienced, we, in a general sense, uh, over the last few days, um, because I feel an obligation in a way to do this because the church supports us so kindly uh, to be able to minister through other uh, agencies, if you will. So I work with Bibles International and a little volunteering there and then volunteering with uh, Gospel Mission of South America. And as you know, I've gone to Florida most every year in the summertime in June for board meetings for several days. Used to only go like one day. I just kind of jet out and jet back in. But the, with the maturity of the ministry here, it allows me a little more freedom to step away for a few days and feel free to participate. And also my responsibilities as a volunteer board member have increased. So that's why I go for a little bit longer and uh, I'll tell you, going for three to four days, it just the time just flies, just just gone. Uh, the week just disappears uh, because we're pretty much nonstop uh, stuff there in uh, Fort Lauderdale at the mission headquarters and and hospitality. Um, some of you pray for my travels, and I thank you very much for that. Um, as some of you know I have some afflictions with regard to travel, uh, having to do with uh, ear trouble and motion sickness and uh, vertigo. Uh, I haven't had uh, any of that lately uh, in the last week or two. Now, I did have some vertigo a few weeks back, but it uh, kindly went away. So, But um, besides a one-hour delay on the way back because of a lightning storm, uh, everything was good. Flights were smooth. Um, I told one or one or two brothers, they asked how was my flight. I said, well, it was smoother than the average Michigan road. Uh, so it was, it was pretty good. <laughs> it doesn't say much, huh? <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was good. Uh, that part of it was. Uh, sometimes I have come up with motion sickness, and that makes the first uh, part of my time there not so pleasant. A uh, couple, probably two, three years ago, I, some reason I did the, the Dramamine or something didn't work, and so I was I was ugh, I was a goner. I I barely uh, what do you say uh, stumbled into the house and went to the first bed that they offered me and laid down for a few. Actually, I slept pretty much the whole night after that. And they were just like, "What do we do?" He just co collapsed on the bed. I'm like, "Don't do anything. <laughs> Don't touch me." <laughs> 
I'm just going to hold still for a while. So, but uh, very kind to folks there uh, to offer us hospitality. At the mission uh, headquarters, there is a uh, office building with a storage area and then two floors where there's offices and meeting space. And then they have two homes, uh, which have a lot of bedrooms in them to house uh, guests when missionaries come, missionary families. And then also uh, they'll uh, put people in an Airbnb, or I was privileged to be able to stay with the friends David and Lisa. I'll leave off their last names, but uh, very wonderful people that have a connection with the mission historically. And um, it's just a blessing that I had to be able to stay with them uh, those days. So Monday afternoon, I arrived at about one o'clock, and uh, whenever I come, they always send somebody to pick us up from the airport. So I just stood outside and waited for my ride to come, and there they were. So, uh, although it's interesting because I never know what car they're going to bring, so I'm always, which car is it this time? You know, and uh, they're always changing vehicles because it's always different missionaries and different ones, but. Um, so they took me over to the uh, mission headquarters, and or on my flight, it's about two and a half hours, a little more than that with, you know, beginning and end time. I was reading a doctrinal statement for a missionary couple, a, a candidate couple that I mentioned earlier today. I was about 14 pages single-spaced, and I had to review that and mark it up and uh, carefully uh, look at it. So I uh, went over that doctrinal statement with them. And um, I gave them some pointers and asked them some questions about their doctrine. I also checked up with them on some other areas of their lives, but gave them some pointers for improvement. And I was, I don't know what I was supposed to do in a doctrinal review, but that's what I did. I went through the whole thing, and I, any place I had a question, I asked them. It was about two hours, so they might have felt like, ooh, this is a, this is a hard interview, but... I have a job to do because I have to report back to the boards of the mission to say, you know, these folks are doctrinally sound or not doctrinally sound, and they are, but um, our brother and sister are young in this work, and they need to, you know, improve what they've written and how they've expressed their belief system and stuff, and uh, that was all good. I was uh, pleased to uh, be able to report that they shared with me afterwards that Nobody had really sat with them before and, and kind of gone through uh, their doctrine or, or like a sermon and given them pointers about how to improve. It's just it kind of, it's been a little bit, I don't know what you say, casual or something, and they haven't known exactly what to do sometimes. So uh, that was an encouragement. Um, the uh, husband grew up in Uruguay, and he's going to be a U.S. citizen within a couple years uh, now, and then his wife grew up as an MK in Brazil, so a uh, great experience on the mission field. So Monday evening, we had a meal at the home with those already present. Uh, many, many had already traveled in. Uh, there were approximately 25 folks uh, in uh, the home there where we had the meal, which is it's about a five to maybe eight-minute walk from the mission headquarters, so we often would walk that if the weather was good get a little exercise in after sitting and doing meetings. Um, and uh, that meal was not followed by any other meeting or anything like that, so we just had sidebar conversations, fellowship, and all of that. And I wish I could just transport you from where you are into that, into that like into my memory banks to see what it was like. Imagine a family reunion with people closer than some of your physical family who you love, who you've known for some for over 20 years. Tom and Debbie Gibbons, we've known for 25 years. Um, David and Christy Flink, uh, we were there with them. They uh, 
We've known them well. They moved to Antofagasta in 2011 or 12, 11, I think, and I knew them sometime before that. And so all these wonderful people that you only get to see once a year or maybe once every two or three or four years. And so just imagine that setting and three large tables packed into this living room, dining room area. And there's plenty of seats. They're just enough seats because the ladies, when they set up for lunch or dinner, uh, they know how many people are there, how many they're expecting, and they put out just the right amount of space. There's not like a lot of space for you to spread out like in a fellowship hall. And uh, you have to choose between one of the three tables to sit at. Now, which table do I sit at? Because I want to talk to that person over there, and I want to talk to that person over there. I want to see that person over there. Well, fortunately, there were nine meals altogether and uh, several of those breakfasts at our host's home, but uh, six of them were uh, corporate altogether. So you had plenty of opportunity to choose different tables to sit at and, and uh, talk with people. So that was good. By Tuesday evening, we had about 38 people present uh, in the same uh, setting, David and Christy Flink and, and Lucas. You remember Lucas? Little Lucas was here with us one time. Myself, uh, Pastor Matt Vanderwalker from Dublin, Ohio, uh, Bob Warner, who is now retired from the U.S. board. Uh, of course, I mentioned the Gibbons, the Thompsons, uh, more Thompsons. Uh, <laughs> not all the Thompsons, though. Um, I mentioned David and Lisa. Nigel Kissick, what a, what a blessing that brother is. Uh, He's from Northern Ireland, and he's got an accent to match. And I've got his accent. I can't do it, but I can listen and understand it. Some people, when they first meet him, they're like, what's he saying? Is that English? <laughs> yeah, that's English. Uh, that's more real English than what we have probably. But, uh, no, it's enjoyable to uh, interact with him. He's a fine brother. Gave a good message. I'll share a little bit of that uh, in a moment if uh, God wills here. Missionaries Sergio and Andrea from uh, Uruguay, James and Donnell we prayed for because James injured his leg really bad. He's, uh, that was back in March last year. He's doing much better getting around. Uh, they were doing their furlough now. We had uh, put him on medical furlough for a while because he just was in recovery mode from this. Terrible infection, by the way, inside of his leg he had to get rid of. So uh, Jansen and Kaylee were there. And uh, their children, that was really nice, Pastor Ben Damar and his wife Heather, and then uh, the uh, Devin and Katie. Katie is a gibbon. Katie is the daughter of Tom and Debbie. Devin, she married Devin, and they have three children now. Little Oliver is, uh, he was the star of the show, just a little baby, you know, everybody loved him, and uh, you would have loved being there. Ter uh, Carol Thompson was getting her, I call it uh, vitamin B, that's baby. She was getting that every once in a while and uh, just enjoying that. So I told her, by the way, I said, you get vitamin B, but I get vitamin H at church. See, I remember that. I told her. And uh, I shared uh, that some of us were praying for Terry as well. As I mentioned, he begins, well, he began Friday, but this week in earnest, uh, his radiation treatments. So uh, I've been charged by one of our uh, brothers, to tell them we're praying for you. We we are you know we know what you're going through, and it's uh, it's important that we continue to lift them up in prayer. Uh, we were joined also by a friend of Kaylee Flink named Sophia, and Sophia didn't have too much English, but I did speak with her a couple of occasions briefly, and uh, enjoyed her uh, fellowship. She's such a young lady, uh, just graduated from high school, I suspect, based on her age. 
later we were joined by Pastor Mike Bennett from Arkansas and then uh, another fellow named Kirk Henserling who is a, a doctor. So uh, what else can I tell you? That was uh, those the evening, the Tuesday evening meeting. Actually, Tuesday during the day I was asked to share a devotional on Genesis 32, especially on uh, prayer in unsettling situations and that we don't deserve the least of God's mercies. Remember that? Jacob prayed uh, when he was faced with Esau and 400 men coming at him, Lord, we don't deserve the least of your mercies and all the truth that you've bestowed upon us. So I was able to share that with them. Tuesday evening, we enjoyed the testimonies of Lorenzo and Hannah, who were then later uh, Wednesday accepted as candidates to the mission. Um, Andy and Colette uh, shared some, as well as Ben and Heather. And then Ben uh, spoke from 2 Corinthians 10 on Paul's ministry. And in that chapter, he pulled out two key thoughts, 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. Paul's ministry was humble. You know, we come to you with the meekness and gentleness of Christ, but it's also powerful, powerful to the throwing or casting down of strongholds and every false philosophy that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so he uh, gave a very nice message on that. Uh, We had a couple of guests. We invite guests to come in from other churches in those meetings. They're held in the upstairs of the mission headquarters where we set up some chairs and kind of make it like a little chapel. And a fellow named Barry came, who is one of these fellows who loves to pass out tracts. And he had, I guess, made a number of coin like large silver dollar size coins but they're plastic with the gospel on them and there's a question where will you spend eternity and on the back is John 3:16 and he had them in English and also a Spanish version so he brought us those and I grabbed a couple of them uh, he had bags of them but uh, you know it was a wonderful little thing it's a conversation starter sometimes to give somebody a little reminder here's a coin stick it in your pocket It'll hold up a little better than a tract will. You know, paper won't get all crumpled up and stuff like that. So pretty good idea. Um, So I look forward to passing those out. I have to find a Spanish uh, customer, so to speak, to be able to give them the Spanish one. But um, anyway, um, there was also another couple that was there that visited, and uh, uh, Tomas and Linda. And Linda brought some food for us to share for dinner, so that was very nice. Uh, after the Tuesday and Wednesday evening meetings, we'd have dinner before, then we'd have the meeting, and then we would go downstairs and share uh, refreshments and cookies after the meeting, so or brownies or something like that, but we had an enjoyable time of fellowship afterwards. So I was staying a little distance, maybe 15 minutes away at a home, so I usually had to leave a little early. Uh, which was good for my body because then that meant I would get to bed on time instead of standing around talking till midnight. So that was smarter, but uh, yeah, you missed some fellowship that way. Uh, I chaired the Wednesday uh, meetings during the day from 9 till about 5, and uh, Pastor Matt Vanderwalker gave a devotional on the sovereignty of God and asked the searching question about whether we believe that doctrine of God's sovereignty intellectually only or whether we really believe it where it counts and when it counts you know we can we can say the doctrine but do we really believe it when difficult times come you know what i'm saying yeah god is sovereign we give that lip service but he was really kind of pressing on the question do we really 
accept that when, when things go wrong in our families or our churches or our personal lives or our health or whatever. Very good, very good point. Wednesday uh, evening um, after the meetings, so we had meals, you know, in the between there again, great fellowship time, and pretty extended too, like we would finish at 12.30 with our meeting and then have lunch until 2, and then we'd meet until 5.30 and then have uh, dinner and then have the meeting at 7 o'clock, so we had an hour and a half to fellowship and share together. But Wednesday evening, Jansen and Kaylee gave their testimony, and as you know, we've been... uh, praying and expecting that in a few years Jansen and Kaylee may end up going to the mission field so we'd have missionaries sent out from our assembly which is a big responsibility we'll be preparing for that and uh, making sure that we're a good sending church for a missionary couple but they gave a nice testimony as did Terry and Carol Thompson Um, a little bit focused on their health, uh, mostly focused on their ministry in Chile to where they want to go back as soon as they possibly can. But they've gotten, um, how can I say, in the machine of medical care in the United States for cancer. And you know how long that takes to go through. And it doesn't move at lightning speed like you would like. You know, for me, it's like, man, if you tell somebody I have cancer, it's kind of an emergency to me. Like, cut it out now. Get rid of it. You know, then start whatever treatments to, to finish it. But I know they, there are many people that have it, and they have to put everybody in, there in line and stuff. But he gave a wonderful testimony. She did as well. Uh, they settled in a city called Los Angeles, which we would say Los Angeles, but it's Los Angeles, Chile. And uh, they're planning with coworkers uh, there to start a new church. And they so much want to start another church. I, I'm, my expectation is that Terry really wants to get back to the field, whatever he can do, to start one more church in his ministry. He's uh, a bit past 70 years old, maybe 70, I don't know, three, four, something like that. He's been on the mission field since 1974. And um, uh, just known to everybody in the mission, he was the general director for 24 years and then uh, retired from that position and went back to the field to serve. A great example of somebody who's in leadership who then relinquishes that spot, grants it to someone else basically, and then it comes under that person's, new person's leadership. But he made a, a powerful testimony. He said, you know, if I had, I would do it all over again, he says. He told me earlier, uh, some couple months back, when, I've, when we learned of his diagnosis, he said, look, we've given ourselves to Christ no reserve, 100%. So whatever he directs for us, that's what we're going to go through. The faithful attitude that he has, kind of a no-nonsense, just plain spoken. Uh, I really appreciate that about Terry. He's just down to earth, just a real fellow, you know, a real man who loves the Lord and wants to serve him and, of course, has had some afflictions of late. A couple years ago, remember, he had a real bout with fatigue, and we wonder now if that might have been a kind of early signs of this coming on, but it wasn't diagnosed then. But he, uh, he just gave a short testimony, but he said, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I would, I would do it just the same way. In fact, he said, if I had 10,000 lives, I would use every one of them in missions. Maybe not all in Chile, but he said, <laughs> spread out a little bit. But just to think about that and... Um, 
I told, uh, I was saying to somebody, you know, somebody needs to write a biography of Terry and Carol Thompson. And I said, you have your title, 10,000 Lives for Christ. There it is. So somebody needs to write it. Uh, I don't have an author yet. I have a couple in mind, but uh, yeah, just uh, amazing. Maybe uh, I was mentioning uh, one of our missionary ladies, uh, Diane Stewart. She might be just the one to write that, uh, that history and that account. That was Wednesday evening. Nigel Kissick spoke, and he has a favorite passage that he goes to. He's spoken to us a couple times from it. Actually, one memorable time, we were at a, a, had a picnic at a local beach. Uh, I think it was last summer, and uh, one of our brothers got bitten up by sand fleas. I mean, he had an allergic reaction to it, and it was, he was miserable. Um, th- they were miserable. They got me as well, but, you know, just kind of little red spots. He was just like, he couldn't take it anymore. He had to leave. But Nigel gave a message uh, that night as well, I think last year. But uh, just turn with me to Genesis 22. I wanted to share with you just a moment. He just used the opening verses of chapter 22. And uh, with, with his earnest heart and with his... Northern Ireland accent, it just gets to you when you think about it. And then the content as well. I mean, that's not least of, of, of it because he's bringing a more devotional kind of approach, not so much the teaching kind of way that I do. But he said in Genesis 22, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am, Hineni in the Hebrew. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And that was all. He told us God here wants us to learn three lessons. And I want to share those with you right out of this text. First of all, he said, God wants us to hear his voice. Wants us to hear his voice. He said, Abraham. And Abraham responded, here I am. Now you could take that in a kind of a mystical way and say, well, how do I hear the voice of God? Well, I mean, you hear it when God's word is read. Or you read God's word. You hear the voice of God. But you know that the scripture says in John chapter 10, my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You know, in in some agricultural settings, people and sheepdogs drive the sheep. In the Middle Eastern pastoral setting, you know how they treat the sheep? They don't drive the sheep. They walk ahead of the sheep, and they talk. And the sheep know them, and they follow the shepherd. They're not driven along by the shepherd. They follow him. You guys all right back there? Okay, good. They're having a confab about some technology issue back there. Um, So the question that he asked, another searching question, do you hear the shepherd's voice? You know, the thing that, and I'm kind of adding in my own thoughts because I can't remember everything that he said, but can you imagine with me somebody who 
claims to be a, a Christian person or a follower, maybe even not, and you share with them the word of God, and it's evident to you that they're not hearing the voice of the shepherd. When you present a truth from God's word, a true believer will, will like resonate with that. There'll be like this resonant frequency that the spirit of God is working in their hearts, and they'll be like, maybe I've never heard that before, but that makes total sense. That's what God said. I'm hearing the shepherd's voice when that happens. What about you? When, when the word of God is given to you, do you, well, like James says, do you get upset? Don't be angry. He said, you remember that verse, uh, James chapter 1, verse 20, is it, or 19? In the, ver- in the context is verse number 18, which is about being begotten by the word of truth. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What happens when somebody disagrees with the word is they're, they're swift to speak, quick to get angry. They don't stop and pause. I've had this happen on occasion over the years and somebody walks out or somebody uh, speaks to me afterwards and shows that they weren't paying attention to what the word said. They want to just you know, go after the opposite of it and tell me that I was wrong when I reported what I did from the word. And uh, So we're not supposed to be uh, swift to speak, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Uh, when we hear God's word. The shepherd's voice, when we hear it, should resonate with our spirit if we have the spirit of God. Do you hear God's voice? Abraham, we won't expect God to call us, you know, Christy, Becky, Drew, Ben, Matt, Joe, you know, Josh. We won't, hear to, we won't expect to hear his voice like Samuel did, old little Samuel in the, uh, in the temple, right? The tabernacle. Samuel. He gets up and goes to Eli, you know, two or, th- what is it, three times? <laughs> Samuel's like, man, let me sleep. <laughs> this kid's nuts. And then he realizes, oh, God is trying to say something to this lad. That happening at that, that didn't happen at that time because it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there was no open vision. Powerful testimony. God began again to relate his revelation through his prophet and through his servant, little Samuel. Um, you know, you hear the voice, the little still small voice the Bible says. This is the way. Walk in it. Don't turn to the right hand or to the left hand. Moses, when he's on the mountain, what happens to Moses? He didn't see God in the fire and the earthquake. Just a tiny little voice. So don't drown out the voice of God, my friends. Hear the voice of the shepherd. Secondly, our brother Nigel said, not only do you need to hear the voice of the shepherd, he said, you need to surrender. Surrender. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. My son? What are you, crazy? This is the promised son, God, don't you remember? (laughs) No, God forgot. Uh, And so the question that, and this was poignant to me, uh, I was thinking about it as he was preaching and saying, you know, Lord, what areas in my life do I need 
to surrender, to just let you have it. You know, I, I wish that I could control everything to the right perfect end. You know, um, you that have small children, don't you just wish that you could kind of go in there and kind of reprogram the, the program a little bit and kind of put, you know, like call a function good behavior and delete the call bad behavior out of the program? Hi. <laughs> yeah, you wish, but that doesn't happen, does it? You don't have that control. You've got to surrender to God, he's in charge. He's the one that's uh, going to lead your young ones to the Lord and guide them to throughout their lives. We're just uh, sort of temporary instruments to bring our kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and prepare them for life and adulthood and hopefully good fellowship with us all their days and uh, in all of our days. But surrender. Are you willing to, this is kind of like the question of the lordship of Christ. It kind of gets to that, although that's the third point here in his message, but it gets to that, you know, who's in charge here kind of question. Are you willing to go underneath the Lord and his wishes? So Abraham, hear the voice of the shepherd. Secondly, take your son, surrender. Thirdly, notice verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning. After you've heard... The word of God, after you surrendered, then you obey. And that's what Abraham did. There's not a lot of discussion here about, you know, I mean, I, can you imagine? Sarah, I have something to tell you. God just told me, oh, no, God didn't tell you that. You must have been, you must have been hallucinating. <laughs> that couldn't be. Perhaps it was... Um, Late in the night when Abraham heard the voice of God and he got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey, the wood, his sons, some servants with him and went to the place that God had told him to go. Wow. Are you willing to obey Christ? Um, you know, a lot of people talk about what sanctification is and how do you live the Christian life and, you know, they're concerned about legalism and that sort of thing, but really, in a, in a way, there's kind of a bottom line to the Christian walk, and it's to obey God. It's to obey Christ, whatever. You know, we're doing it by faith, of course. We don't obey legalistically. That's ridiculous. We understand that. Legalism is by keeping some commands or set of commands or uh, certain things or make meeting certain rubrics, I earn favor with God. That's the doctrine of legalism. But we don't believe that at all. We understand that we've been saved by grace. But God does urge and join and command us to do certain behaviors because they're good for us. They're not grievous to us. And so we need to come under and surrender to the Lord, hearing His Word and being obedient to it. That is the message that uh, our brother brought to us, although he brought it much better and with much more emotion and more interesting illustrations than what I have here tonight. Genesis 22. Hear, surrender, obey. So uh, that was Wednesday uh, evening, and uh, then Thursday morning, uh, Brother uh, David uh, offered a devotional in which he spoke about several matters. And uh, he has a different um, 
how can I say, mode or method of presentation. So it's not like I can point to one text of Scripture. He used several uh, texts in the morning devotional, but he, he illustrated uh, this truth. The truth was we need to choose how we react in difficult situations. He illustrated this with a tragedy that struck their family six months ago in the death of their adult son. And they were in, I think, Germany at the time. Um, he and his wife, but their son was in New York and suddenly passed away. And just devastation to the family, as you can imagine. Um, he had some challenges, spiritual challenges. I don't know all the details. That's about all I could say intelligently, but it was a terrible tragedy. And what one of the things he was struggling with, and we talked in a car ride back to his home with, is he's asking the question, what am I supposed to learn from this? I mean, we know the general lessons about the sovereignty of God, and God is good, and, but what is God trying to teach me in my particular situation and my wife about this with the death of their dear son? What is he trying to, what am I supposed to learn? I don't want to waste what he's doing here. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ is what he was expressing. There is a way, he said, and you could tell, I, I knew he was thinking about this day by day because we, he, I get little snippets of it. And then there it came on Thursday morning in the devotional. Uh, he's been pondering and thinking through this. How are you going to choose when something bad happens to your life, in your life. You can, really, he said, there's a fork in the road. You can choose to go down this one path that drives you away from God, drives you away from God's people, drives you into isolation, and leaves you in a bad situation, even worse situation. Or you can choose and re to remain close and be drawn closer to God and closer to his people. But there's a fork there. And you have some... Could I say it this way? You have some control about which road you go down. You have a conscious choice that you can make. Sometimes people fall into the depression choice, the choice to, to, to isolate and go away from God. But really, if you stop and think about it, you have a choice as to how you're going to respond. Am I going to respond godly in Christ Jesus, or am I going to respond self-centeredly, uh, depressed, you know, that sort of thing. So he, he really put that to us, and it was a good, good lesson for me, and, a, and I hope it's a good reminder for you, or if you're listening tonight, uh, you have some capacity to choose. Choose you this day how you're going to serve God, if you are or not. Make that choice. And then and ask yourself, in the process of deciding which fork, fork in the road you're going to take, is this really the right fork? Is this really what God wants me to do? Is this common? Is this decent? Is this appropriate? Is this righteous? Is this holy? Does this accomplish God's will? Um, make the choice and uh, be drawn closer to God, even in the midst of tragedy. Well, we had some more business uh, to attend to on Thursday morning, and uh, it was all you know, fun and games about health insurance and finances and how to handle that with the mission family. That was uh, just work, but it was good. 
Uh, and then I uh, munched some lunch and uh, ran off to the airport just that quick. Uh, had to be there by 1 o'clock. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. We, we had a, a wonderful meal. It was Tuesday night, I think, Tuesday night. And uh, Devin has a specialty where he smokes uh, brisket. Ooh, really good, especially when it's warm and soft like that, tender. And we had that on Tuesday night, and I heard they were bringing it back in uh, leftovers on Thursday night. Well, I was not going to be there. So I was telling people, like, I'm thinking about changing my flight. I mean, <laughs> but I did that. I was talking about that to somebody, and there were a couple of ladies there who are, you know, the ladies often when the men are meeting in the business, they're working together and enjoying fellowship and cooking the dinner or the lunch and stuff. And they're like, well, we've got contacts in the kitchen. So what they did was they provided a little bag, a care package for me to take on the airplane to eat for my dinner. And I didn't actually have dinner because I had a little bit of lunch and then I was late. The flight was late and then I was going to uh, Daniel's graduation right from the airport. And so uh, we didn't get home until maybe, I don't know, 8.30 or something like that. So it was good for me to have a little dinner. But inside of that package, they put in a couple of clementines, a couple of little bags of potato chips, Frito, uh, Fritos, by the way. Those are good, right? And then uh, what was it? Lay, just Lay's potato chips, I think, was the other one. And in a sandwich bag, two hamburger buns filled with that brisket. And uh, I wasn't in first class on that plane, but everybody around me must have been like, man, that's no fair. <laughs> He's got the best food in the place. <laughs> I didn't feel bad at all, though. <laughs> It was very delicious. So our brother Ryan came and picked me up at the airport, and uh, he was gracious because he got there, you know, in good time and had to wait quite a little extra time. But he said, the police haven't kicked me out yet. They're letting me sit here. So that was nice. And uh, I found him right quick, and uh, he, he whisked me off to uh, Daniel's graduation. So only missed about the first 40 minutes or so of that. So it worked out very well. But Anyway, that's the report, and uh, I, I think for me, it had a lot of edifying value to it. I hope for you, just hearing a little bit from the Bible messages and, and what we had there, the fellowship was sweet, uh, the business meetings were good, um, and I, I'm pleased with God's work and use of the mission agency, Gospel Mission of South America. He's uh, using that work. We support several of their missionaries. Um, uh, the new fellow who's added to the U.S. board, I think their church supports four or five GMSA missionaries as well. So um, very familiar with the mission. Uh, in fact, uh, the uh, senior pastor of that particular church last January, this past January, took his first trip overseas to the mission field and was with the missionary family in their meetings in Chile, I think southern Chile, and just thoroughly enjoyed it. Got sick at the end of the trip, just like happens to me half the time when I go there. But um, he just said it was 10 times better than he could have expected. And uh, if you ever want to invest some of the Lord's money that you have been entrusted with to go to the mission field, you get yourself a passport. And I will, uh, at least for South America, if you'd like to go there and visit with missionaries, I know just all the places to send you and uh, can help you arrange that. It is a, just a superb 
blessing to be there and to see the work, to see Christians in another nation. Now, it's difficult because if you don't have Spanish, you can get kind of isolated feeling, you know, but uh, you kind of get used to it after a while, and folks like to practice their English on you uh, down there. Many, many people do know some English, you know, they listen to a lot of English media or English preaching, and so they have some, but... um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to go down there again sometime, but it's hard because I don't like to leave here. <laughs> so um, some sometime again we'll do that. But Well, may God bless that ministry and ours, and uh, let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could share a report this evening, although no pictures. Uh, we had a lot of, uh, some other people took a lot of pictures, but I didn't get too many. Uh, We thank you for the work that's going on uh, headquartered out of Florida and the UK and Canada and Argentina and Chile and Uruguay and hopefully soon some other countries as well. Uh, Lord, I pray for Terry who's got this cancer cooking. I pray that you'll take care of that using the means of the medications and the things that he's getting. And uh, also, Lord, for those who uh, need uh, visas, citizenship, paperwork, training, all of the things that we mentioned earlier today, that you will provide those richly to them. And if there's any way in which we can be a help to folks uh, in a further way in the mission, we'd love to do that. And Lord, thank you for out of this little church, as was mentioned earlier, you have allowed us to support a dozen missionaries and even more over the years, many more actually, and to be personally involved in a great way in uh, the mission work, both in Bibles International and Gospel Mission of South America. And we can only wish that we had more hours in the day and more days in the week, for we could offer more to other mission agencies as well to serve and help in some capacity. But Lord, we pray that instead of that, you would raise up more laborers into your harvest field There are young men and women here in this church that you may decide to tap on the shoulder and say uh, whatever their name is, and I pray that they will say, here I am. They will hear the voice of the shepherd, and they will surrender their lives to the shepherd, and they will obey and go. And uh, Lord, as parents, I pray that we will not stand in the way of youngsters preparing and going to the mission field, um, as has been testified by some of our missionaries, that sometimes it's the parents that are the worst problem in getting young people off to the mission field. So help us not to be like that, but to be willing to surrender and sacrifice on behalf of the work of the church in the coming kingdom. And it's in that great king's name, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and the God of gods, that we pray tonight. Amen.